Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi there, and welcome to Runners Only with Dom Harvey. That's me. This episode brought to you by Skin Institute. Coming up, Miyamoto. I already felt like a winner because what I had achieved, and that the achievement was speaking and using my voice, because I reached out to and inspired a lot of people, which is more, that's more worthy than winning a world title. Miyamoto is a world champion boxer, and her life today as a mum of five in her early 30s looks very, very different to how it looked just a few years ago. Right through her 20s, she was stuck in a marriage as a victim of relentless and brutal domestic abuse with unimaginable violence and cruelty. In this conversation, Mia bravely opens up about her past and how she managed to survive and rebuild her life. And by sharing her story, she hopes to empower others to find their own strength and use their voice to make a difference. This conversation where we sat down was the first time that I got to meet Miyamoto in person, and I absolutely adore her. And I know you guys will too. She is bubbly, vivacious, hilarious, positive, resilient, driven, inspired. Honestly, there's not enough words to describe just how fierce this Wahine is. She's remarkable. I genuinely think we can all get something from Mia's journey from rock bottom to the top of the world. If she can get through this, still smiling. Still laughing, I reckon we can all get through whatever shit sandwich life throws your way. This episode does need to come with a strong warning though, and I I would urge anyone who feels triggered by any of this discussion to reach out and ask for help. In the words of Miyamoto herself, speak and don't be ashamed. Just before we do get into it, very important message here. Thank you to the Skin Institute for sponsoring this episode. You guys may have been aware of this, but I certainly wasn't. 6,000 Kiwis are diagnosed with melanoma every year, and 300 of us die from it. So getting checked is important because early detection can save your life. Skin Institute are the skin cancer experts. I went in a couple of weeks ago for my first ever full body skin check and I honestly feel like such a tool for not doing this years ago. I was in and out in 20 minutes and it was covered by health insurance. Yours might be as well. Skin Institute have 12 clinics nationwide so there's probably one near you. You can book an assessment online at skininstitute.co.nz or phone 0800 Skin Doctor. 0800 Skin Doctor. That's 0800 754 637. I'm the first to admit, I've been appalling at being sun smart over the years. I'm ashamed to admit this, but I'll go out and run for hours and more often than not, forget to apply any sunscreen. But now that I've had a full body check from the Skin Institute, that is going to change for me and that feels very reassuring. I can't change the past, but I can change the future. So I'm very grateful for Skin Institute for sponsoring this episode and improving my awareness and hopefully yours as well. Again, you can book an assessment online at skininstitute.co.nz or phone 0800-SKIN-DR, Skin Doctor. That's 0800-754-637. 0800-754-637. Okay, let's get into it. Miyamoto on Runners Only with Dom Harvey. Hey. 
Runners only, yeah, yeah, let's get it started. Hey, hey, this is Runners only with Dom Harley. Uh, fast paced, slow and steady, anywhere you coming. Uh, just wanna connect for everyone who loves running. This is Runners only, yeah, yeah let's get it started. Hey, hey, this is Runners only with Dom Harley. Uh, fast paced, slow and steady, anywhere you coming. Uh, just wanna connect for everyone who loves running. Hey, Runners only with Dom Harley. Runners only with Dom Harvey and Mia Motu. G'day. Hello. It's so nice to have you here. I'm sorry I'm a little bit croaky today. I'm a little bit sick, but I we were supposed to catch up yesterday. I postponed it. I didn't want to postpone it again because I've been I've been fizzing about this. It's so nice to have you here. Oh, thank you. Finally, okay. finally. Now we we were supposed to do this podcast about two months ago, right? And um, you 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 cancelled it because you were you were too nervous to do it without your coach present, and your coach was over in England. Yeah, yeah. This is before the Sunday documentary, before the fight, before everything. Why? Why were you so shy? Why were you so nervous? Because I was in the unknown, and when I don't know anything, <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, I need someone with me. Yeah, so I was just like, am I ready to push that boundary? So yeah. Right, and and now, but now you're sweet as. Yeah, no, yeah. sweet as. No, I'm not afraid to speak about. Speak about anything, really? Yeah, I'm comfortable as. That's what. What was the? What was the ripping? The the. I mean, because you've been so honest in all the interviews you've done. I, I guess it started with the, the Sunday documentary on TVNZ One. Um, was that sort of like the turning point for you? Um, I feel like when when I do speak, I uh, like the especially talking talking about my story. Like I need, just like I felt more comfortable with my coach being there supporting me because he understands it. So if any, if there was a boundary where I felt unsettled, he would be. I would feel okay to speak about that. Right. So like a like a, a safety blanket or support yeah, person yeah. or something. Yeah, like a support person. Yeah. Yeah. So that's um, Isaac Page. We're going to get into yeah. into him later on and your relationship with him because that seems something special. Yep. Sure. Is. You've even got the the name of his like gym tattooed on your neck. <laughs> yep, I sure do. <laughs> what is it? What does it say? Peach Boxing. Peach Boxing. It's the logo. That's a commitment. Yeah. Do you get free membership for that? No. <laughs> he should have a deal. Like, if you get the neck tattoo, you get free membership. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so how are you? You good? Yeah, I'm really good. Yeah. yeah, yeah Surviving. So, so we're recording this. Um, how long ago was the, the fight? Two weeks ago? Yeah, two weeks ago. Yeah, so oh, you're, a week and a bit. So you're now the world champion. Yeah. So what, is, what does that mean exactly from your perspective? What's different in your life now? Oh, the only thing that's different in my life is that people are recognising me. But I'm still just me. I'm not going to change. Yeah, has there been like a noticeable shift in that? I'm, I'm guessing the Sunday piece had a lot to do with that because it was an incredible story. Yeah. And you were, you were very honest and a lot of people watched that. Like, did you, did you notice like immediately after that, like more people, it's like, oh, hey, Mia. A little bit. Not as much. I feel like as soon as Between Two Bears came out, that's, that's when it started like the podcast there his people were like talking about it and then it was my fight on the night of fight for life i just went crazy i was like what the heck there's too much people here because i'm a person who like if they follow me i'll follow them back and i'm like oh wow i get excited when people follow me so i'm like yeah i'll follow you back cool (laughs) (laughs) you you i mean you like your your look you're so recognizable and you seem so nice and approachable as well so I, I guess it's like the perfect storm. Like, yeah, people people aren't afraid to approach you. Do you know what I mean? Even though you're a ferocious bitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm only a nightmare in the ring. <laughs> I'm not a nightmare outside the ring. I'm real friendly. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm always kind. Yeah. All right. Hey, um, yeah. How are you coping with the fame? Are you loving it? 
Mm, I don't really mind. Yeah, like, yeah. I just carry on being me. I think I just got to stop getting too invested in like trying to be like, oh, hello, people. And like, you know, when people reach up, I get like so invested, like, oh, you know, when the people like that have suffered through things, I kind of try to take it on board myself, which is challenging because like I understand those people and it's so hard to deny them. Do you know? Like yeah. what they've been through, their walk of life. So like I can get so caught up and it's, it can drain my energy. Yeah, absolutely. But I, and I, I suppose this is a problem. Like, a, 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 yeah, the problem is a weird word because it's like a, it's a situation you've created for yourself yeah. um, by being so open and so vulnerable with your own story. Um, but yeah, it's an energy zapper if you take too much of that on, isn't it? Yeah, because I'm trying to fix everybody. I feel like I can, yeah, I can fix everyone, but I can't. <laughs> yeah, well it's, well, it's not your job either. Yeah, it's not my job. Yeah. and then I ne- neglect my own well-being. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. I mean, you've only got so much. In it. There's only so much Mia to go around. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I wish I could give it all. But I can't. <laughs> and and um, how did you cope? Um, one thing I thought about. So you, the Sunday documentary went to air. Yeah. And then your world title fight was eleven days after that. How did you cope with the the pressure and the expectation? It was hard. Yeah. It was hard. It was a little bit frustrating because I was like, I kind of lost. Like I really learned a lot in this. Like where I lost myself as a fighter, that I was like, sheiks, okay, like the last week of my camp, I was like, shit, okay, I'm, I'm actually fighting, like, damn it, I've lost so focused because I got so caught up in what I had tried to preach and help others and then also let my story because that was a learning curve for me, like, that journey was big to me and it was very healing at the same time, but it also mm. took a lot out of me. Oh, without it, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, no, but I'm I'm thinking, um, like that that story went to air, and there's no way that you you could have or should have lost the fight after that. Do you know what I mean? It seemed like this girl is going to be the next champion of the world. I already felt a winner just speaking out. Right? Oh, did you? Yeah. Yeah. So when you went into into the ring for that world title fight, no doubt in your mind that you were going to you were going to kick her ass. No doubt. Like I didn't even think about. I was just. I already felt like a winner. Because what I had achieved, and that the achievement was speaking and using my voice, because I reached out to and inspired a lot of people, which is more—that's more worthy than winning a world title. Yeah, absolutely, it is. Why, why did it take you so long to speak out? Do you think? Is it just the, the moment? Shame. Yeah. Shame, because you're like, you don't want a lot of pe- a lot of people. You don't want that like closer to you. You don't want also. You don't want them to know as well because. I know it hurt them to hear what I've been through and I never spoke out about it. So I've never actually, even my closest family, I've never actually really told. They only found out through that story. Mm. So they didn't even know what I went through. Oh, I'm so sorry that you've yeah. been living with this for such a long time. Um, the, the, the shame you're talking about and the, the stuff that you're talking about, for anyone that doesn't know, that's um, domestic violence. And we'll get yeah. into that later on in as much or as little detail as what you want. I'm not sure how you feel talking about it over and over again. No, that's uh, fine. Yeah, okay, yeah. cool. Well, let's let's focus on the early years. So you're from Kaitaia? Yes. So you're born in Kaitaia? I'm born in um, Kaitaia, but I'm from Pukiporo. Where's Pukiporo? It's like, so you go, you go into the township, then you hang a left at the clock, <laughs> and then you go down, heading out to Aipara, which is like the beach. Oh, no, Aipara. Yeah, that's by yeah, 90 well, Mile it's before, Beach. It's before Aipara. Right, right. But I'm also from Aipara as well, but 
my marae and whenua and everything's in Pukiboro. Oh yeah, because my uh, my ex girlfriend Liz, like her family, they've got a they've got a um, a spot in Hohora Beach, and so I've spent a lot oh, of time up there. Yeah, spent a lot of time is... running running through the forests of um, Ninety Mile Beach, yeah. avoiding those terrifying horses. Yeah, yeah, those, they're still there. The wild horses. Yeah, the stallions and everything. Yeah, my my girlfriend said if you see one one of the horses, get run into the trees and hide. Yeah, I don't. I just run at them. <laughs> you run at them. Yeah, because I'm used to them. <laughs> so, what was life like growing up? What was little Mia like? Oh, it was amazing. Best time of my life. Yeah. Why? Because yeah, I learned how to dive. You know, uh, my favorite thing to do is eating seafood as well. So you could go into the water and dive for your own kinners, your own crayfish. All that you learn, you learn all that. So you le- you learn sustainability. That's the best thing about it. Living up north, you know, and you live you live off the land. You go pig hunting. You horse ride, bareback horse ride. You don't ride it with a saddle. <laughs> yeah. So you 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 do sound a lot like um yeah, my ex. So you get the canners and you're slurping them raw. Yeah. <laughs> Eat it oh, in the water. Disgusting. Disgusting. Nah, that's delicious. <laughs> that's awful. That's magic. Yeah. So, so what was life like like growing up? Um, are, we, are you quite um connected to your roots and your whanau? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm really connected to my roots. But you didn't you didn't speak Maori growing up? I did when I was a kid. You did, yeah. But I lost it when I left Kaitaia. Like that's when I lost how because I came down to the big city, the big smoke, and you know it was all English schools, so we had to speak English. Which was hard for me at first, but got it in the end. So, how old was it? You moved to Auckland from um, the far north when you were like 10? Yeah, when I was 10. How come? Because my mum and dad wanted to come down here and work, and my sister was about to be born. So, yeah. Yeah, and how, 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 is that, how is that for you? Because uh, I think when you're, when you're like preschool age, you know, move, moving anywhere with your parents is fine. But when, you, when you're at school, especially when you're like nine or ten and you've got your roots set up and yeah. your friends and you got your, your friends, networks, it's tough. And then you're like, you're living life like, you know, rough and rugged. That's how I – rough, rugged and beautiful. <laughs> that's how I say it. <laughs> what do you mean? Just like barefoot, outside yeah. – yeah, yeah, yeah. My holy pants, I liked it. <laughs> My ripped T-shirt, getting all dirty, milking the cows. That was rough, rugged. That sounds idyllic. Couldn't you have stayed up there with the wider whanau? Was that not an option? No, my mum won't have that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay, so you moved to you moved to Auckland. Where, where do you where do you move to? And what's that like? Can you remember much about that? You were still very young. Oh, we moved to West Auckland when my um, grandparents owned their house, but they bought it years ago, and we moved down to West Auckland. I've always been in West Auckland, haven't been anywhere else in West. Um, but yeah, just stayed there, hanged out with my family. Went to school, didn't really like it. I'd get frustrated. I was, I was actually an angry kid, especially when I was an intermediate. Like I was very angry. I was like, I would lose my cool at school sometimes because I was just, I struggled like with, cause like up north it's like, you can be yourself. Everyone's just like you know, enjoys pig hunting and all that stuff. But then you come down to Auckland and people are like, why aren't you wearing shoes? Where's your shoes? <laughs> Stuff like that. Like, I didn't... And you had to wear school uniform. Like, what the heck? I hated that. Why do we have to wear school uniform? Just a massive culture shock, eh? Yeah, it was. And, and why, why Why? weren't you good at school? Did you just have, like... um, Did you struggle to learn, or...? No, I didn't struggle to learn. Yeah. I just struggled with, like, the different nationalities, like, especially with the teachers, you know, because, like, up north is a lot different. And then was, it like a, was it like a rural school up north? So it was like a yeah. tiny, tiny school? Yeah, a tiny school. And, like, we just... What I was used to completely changed coming down here, and it was like, 
it was just like it felt very fancy and flash and I was like this is out of my class it just yeah, it didn't fit me oh did you sort of feel like an imposter like you didn't belong yeah I didn't feel like I belonged oh. at all yeah oh that's rough did you have like a good group of friends like a, a like a clique that you found at that school I got along with boys more I struggled with girls yeah I didn't like girls talking about girly things. It was annoying. Because <laughs> it was something I was not used to, you know. Girls would be like, I like boys. And I'm like, that's the last thing I want to listen to. I want to be like, oh, do you want to play Borish? You know? Or like, and I was like always into rugby and league growing up. So, and girls want to play netball. And I'm like, no way. I'm not playing that. Yeah. So, so did you, what, yeah, what sports did you play? Like when you moved to Auckland at that sort of, sort of intermediate age, where, where was it like team sports, contact sports? Yeah, it was team sports. Yeah. I played like soccer, definitely touch and tag and rugby and league. But like, as I got older, my mum wouldn't let me play league. Yeah. She so, played so, league. So, so you, you, were you able to play, were there enough um, like female players for you to be in like a girls team or were, was it, were you playing with no, the boys? I was or? playing with boys. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't like playing with girls. They just, because <laughs> they were like crybabies. <laughs> didn't I like uh, Mia runs it straight every time. Yeah, but like it was like then in soccer, you know, you, you go, like I played in the boys team and even the boys would cry and I'll get kicked like yellow card because I like kicked them and they did a full somersault flip. <laughs> and I was like, isn't this what soccer's meant to be? And the boy would cry so dramatic. And then because I said to the kid, get up and stop crying. <laughs> Oh my god! Um, in a in a sense, like looking looking back now, like do you think these sort of experiences, this contact sport and playing with um the guys who are maybe physically bigger than bigger than you at that age, do you, do you yeah, think definitely. that sort of like prepared you for the boxing? Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah, Because yeah, my cousins were way bigger and they were rough. Like they like they're no mercy. You they you'd be like, why get up, stop crying? Why are you being a sook for? Like, we weren't allowed to cry. My cousins were tough as. So I'd be like, okay, then I'm going to take you on too. <laughs> I'm going to try and beat you. <laughs> I could never beat my cousins. Well, it's, well, it's, it sounds like um, you had a good time when you moved to Auckland. You're you, you obviously, like, homesick for your, your whanau and stuff up north. Yeah. But you still had a good time and a, and a good yeah, family. but who, it just fell out of place. Yeah. So who moved down? Your mum and your dad? And my brothers. Yeah. How many brothers you got? Two brothers. Yeah. yeah. And are your mum and dad still together? No. No. They're not together. They were split like sixteen years ago, maybe seventeen. So, yeah. oh, did they did they do that thing like my parents did, where they stayed together for the kids, and then when the kids left home, they went their separate no, ways? No, they just went like my mum just did a whole one eighty, and my dad was like, <laughs> he did like a scare. I still don't know till this day why he left. It's right. So confusing. So, how old were you at the time? Like seventeen? No, I was sixteen. Right? Was that a shock for you at that time? Yeah, I was like, hey, what's going on here? Yeah, and then yeah. I was like, oh, great. <laughs> Rolling my eyes, like, oh, okay, here we go. And, and so where did the boxing start? The boxing started when I was like 14. Right, how come? 13. I did it for fitness. Like, because I was like playing for like New Zealand reps and stuff for like touch and, I mean, for tag and um, soccer and stuff. So my mum was like, you need to get your fitness up. And I was like, oh, okay then. And my mum was doing boxing for, like, fitness to lose weight with her friends. So she was like, I'll take you to the gym. And then because my cousin Shane, which is Chopper, Shane Chopper Chapman, who's K K1 fighter, he was going to that gym. So he was like, come to this gym. 
and because he does his kickboxing there and boxing there so he was like come to i was like i'm not doing kickboxing no way because i was like i'm not kicking my legs it's just stupid and then someone was like no you can do the boxing so i did the boxing gave it a go and then like six months later the coach was like oh would you like to box and i was like okay why not i'll give it a go so i'm always like tempted to give anything a go and then i sparred and made these teenage boys cry. They're like 16, and they all started crying. And I said, what the heck? This is my first sparring ever. Why would you cry? I was like, I thought boxing's not meant to be for suki babas. Can you imagine how humiliating that is? For real, is it? For those guys. Yeah, that's a humiliating. If you're crying, why at, would you cry? <laughs> no, at, at, I'm thinking at that of, of myself at that age. Like, first of all, I've never had the courage to get in a boxing ring, so I'm not, I'm not criticising these young guys. But to be that age... Um, still, yeah, like developing and going through puberty and figuring out who you are to get in the ring with a girl and have your ass kicked by her. Like the whole thing, like it's terrible. Yeah, but I'll I was live a with that to this day. I was a novice, like I hadn't even done any <laughs> sparring. It was my first sparring that's, ever. That's not making it any better. That's making it way worse for these boys. <laughs> but I suppose now, now that you're the world champion, they can and they're, yeah, they're the same age as you, I guess. Like dudes in their thirties, they can probably look back at it and, and laugh. But at that age and that stage in your life. It probably traumatised them and followed them around for the last few years of school. Hey, for real, because I like I was I said to my brother when I, I was like, "Would you ever cry if I sparred you?" And then I said to my brother, "Come on, then." And then like we started having a punch, and then bang, I made his nose bleed. He didn't cry, and he was younger than me. He was two years younger. So, so it sounds like straight away you were good at it. Yeah, I yeah? think a lot. You're like a natural. Like, I wasn't strong. I was just like super fast, like. Did you little pit patter? You know, like. What, what do you mean you went strong though? Like you, you're making nosebleeds, you're making the boys cry. Nah, that nosebleed is like fist punch with my brother. <laughs> what do you mean, like outside of the ring? Is that just? Yeah, yeah, we're yeah. at home. Come on, let's go! Boom, boom. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so uh, when when do you meet um, Isaac Peach, who's like your coach, your mentor, your best friend to this day? Was it around this time? I met him like when I was. Probably 15? Yeah, so yeah. about this this sort of time. Yeah. About the time you're making all the boys cry. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. not long after that. Yeah. So he ha- was boxing too. How do you meet him? Did he just happen to be in the same gym or did he get told about you? No, he came into the gym and he started training for um, that gym. And he was like, then I started to get to know Isaac because I had to train alongside him. I was the little teenager and he was the adult. And I was like, yeah, just growing up and we were just mates friends there and he knew me and we were both Westies then too because uh, so what, what's the age gap between you guys so you're 33 now yeah and how old's he what's he 40 he's 50 50 nah jokes <laughs> 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 he'll be like you trailer nah he's 40 40 oh, so yeah. seven year age gap so you're in your you're in your late teens he's in his sort of early 20s yeah yeah and and was was he sort of like a mentor to you then no Did, he wasn't no no what was the relationship like then he was crazy in what way? What do you like? Do you know he would like? He just he was funny back then. He would come to training, and he'd be smoking a cigarette, <laughs> and then and then he'll put it out, and he'll just start doing these sprints, and next minute smash all of us at it. And I was like, what the heck? And then he'll come sometimes. He'll come back like come show up to training, smelling like alcohol, and he's drunk. <laughs> he's been drunk, has a cigarette, does and still smashes it. Like, and I used to think, when I used to watch him train and stuff, I was like, and I was like, man, if he gave up cigarettes and drinking, he would be a mean-ass fighter. 
Because, like, you know, that I, I truly believe that smoking just held your lung capacity back. But, yeah, man, course, not for course, that, yeah. man. He was fit. Like, no one could, like, no one could beat. There was, like, two of them. There was Isaac and this guy, Kokura. And they used to just constantly, like, do these mean-ass shuttles. They were, like, suicide shuttles. But those, they would be, like, they had the highest score ever. And I'd be like, how is he doing it? <laughs> Because he would be like hungover sometimes. <laughs> is he? Is he okay with these stories? Is... <laughs> I don't know, but I just well, I'm not. Ta- I'm not lying. I'm telling the truth. Yeah, yeah, I know, yeah. I know. But sometimes self-editing's not a. Anyway, nah, he's, sure he's your fine. mate. He's yeah. your mate. Okay, so I'll get in trouble though. Yeah, He'd be like, don't trade me in. <laughs> so is is he the one that's that said to you? Um, yeah, when you're a teenager, like Mia, you should you should get in the ring. That you should do this. This is boxing. It's no, he would always yeah, no, he would always say like, Oh yeah, you're good like and he'd like always be supportive and cheering, but at the same time after his he would be like he'll just finish a fight and he's back on his, his cigarette straight away. <laughs> and see I remember that because I was anti I've always been anti cigarettes right. because I watched my grandfather die of cigarettes. So yeah. I've hated cigarettes, so I've never had a cigarette in my life. I've only had second hand smoke. Yeah. Yeah, I'm the same. I grew up in it. My mum was a heavy smoker growing up. She stopped about 10 years ago, but yeah, I, I look back now and all my clothes stunk of smoke all the time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So can you remember your very first fight? Yeah, I remember my first yeah, fight. Yeah, did you win? Yeah, I won. Yeah. Stop in the third round. Out of how many rounds? Three rounds? Three rounds, yeah. Three two-minute rounds? Three-minute rounds. Yeah, three two-minutes. Yeah, because I was... Uh, how old were you then? 13. 13? Yeah. Wow, and was that feeling amazing? Is that is that that feeling of winning is? You know, it was to me. I was like, "You gotta laugh." Okay, this is my first fight. It's typical me. I'm still the same. Damn it! I just really made me think. Sheiks. Um. So like, I had my fight. I literally, I needed to blow my nose. In the middle of the fight, I turned around and said to the rest, "Stop!" And he's like, "You're not allowed to stop." And I was like, "Stop!" And he's like, "This is ridiculous." Because I was like, "I was like, wait, wait, stop the fight." I was like, I need to blow my notes. And he's like, you're not allowed to do that. I was like, I need it. And then he was like, okay. I fully, like, he grabs a tissue, thinking that I just need a light blow. I literally blow all the blood over him. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, he never, I, it's still stuck with him till this day. Because he's all in white and it's all blue, it's all red. Oh my God. Oh. You're not doing good for my congestion. <laughs> um, yeah, because of course you're wearing gloves, so there's nothing that yeah, you're you not. can't like hold a nostril yeah. or anything like that. So I'm like, I need to get this out because the blood. I could feel it like going in the back. So yeah, and it literally goes all over his white, clean white t-shirt and pants. And he was so angry at me that still to this day he's like, I'll never forget you when you blew your nose at me. That fight and sort of winning is that what sort of planted the seed? Or was it just other people sort of pushing you, saying, Mia, you're really good at this. If you if you try really hard, you can be really good. No, where like, where just, did the love I, of boxing come from? I didn't really love it. I just was like, yeah, that was fun. Like, I really didn't need like, Why was it fun? Just because you're good. Because I was like, oh, because just like doing the, like the energy level and being like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is something different. And you're on your own. Like, you don't have any, because like, I'm so used to team sport. And, like, people depend, like, you know, if you stuff up, the whole team stuffs up. But it's just you alone in that ring. So, yeah, that's how I just saw it. Yeah, you say that with a glint in your eye and a smile on your mouth. To me, that's the terrifying thing about it. That's, that seems, like, that seems awful to me. Like, the, you get in the ring, 
you've got your corner people there, your support crew around you, which must be very, very nice. But then everyone leaves and the fight starts and it's got to be the most terrifying thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's actually the most peaceful thing. Peaceful? Because, mm. like, you literally, you just see you and the opponents, like, okay, let's go. Which one's going to win? You or me? Which one? <laughs> yeah, but you, but you know that your opponent's goal is the same as you. You, you. She's trying to kill you. You're trying to kill her. Yeah, I know. But I don't see it as a kill. I never did. What do you mean? I just thought, like, it was something fun. Like, yeah, I like this. This is enjoyable. It's fun. Something to do. And I just got myself to do. And if I win, it's just me that won. Yay. Not a mm. team. But, yeah. So I didn't really love it at the end. I just enjoyed it. Yeah. It was something fun. Yeah. So it was, well, why did you stop? And when did you stop? I was always in and out. I never really, because I'd be like, oh. Because like, I'll go through moments where I'll be like, oh, I want to be a kid. And like, I don't want to be training all the time. You know? And, like, I would miss out on, like, the biggest thing that I struggled with was I would miss out on a lot of family things. Because we do a lot of family gatherings. Like, we celebrate Easter, you know, all the public holidays. We go away up north as a family. And we're such a tight family that we always do everything together. Mm. So I would always miss out on that. And it would be very frustrating because, like, as soon as my family would go up north, I'd be like, see all the pictures and be like, Oh, they're eating kids. And where's mine? And I'm stuck down here training and boxing. So I was like, oh, this is dumb. Yeah, but I suppose it's like anything, eh? There's sacrifices involved yeah. with anything. If you want to be good at something in life, you've got to make sacrifices. Yeah. So is that when you decided to take a break from it? Yeah, I was always in and out. Yeah, and right, then even right. with, like, school, because I was like, oh, it's, it's distracting me, so I have to stay at school. So I'd be like, I never took it serious. So I was just... Like, I thought I took it serious, but then, no, I never did. Yeah. And when did you leave school? How long were you at school for? I was at school till I was 17. Right. And that's when you got married? Yeah, I got married. Yeah. Yeah. On that, um, the Sunday documentary, which I referenced at the beginning of this, um, might still be available to watch on um, TVNZ On Demand. Um, it's a fabulous piece. And they they show a photo of you in your in your wedding dress and yeah. and you're 17 yeah and and you're you're beautiful but you're just so young like I you're know. just a girl like it, it it could have been your ball your ball gown but it's your it's your wedding dress yeah and i didn't even know what a ball was <laughs> you didn't it's, no how do you mean well, i didn't know what a ball was right right See, people would always talk about it and i'm like what the heck's that because I never paid any attention. Yeah, right, right. Like, oh, because you're into the, the guy stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, if, if the bo- like if I heard, like, oh, the boys have got rugby, I'd be like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> Tell us about your husband. Like, where, where did you meet him? Was he the same age, slightly older? No, he was the same age. Same age, 17 yeah. as well. What, who gets married at 17? Me. Yeah. <laughs> Why? So, so you, you, you guys, you guys when, when did you meet? Like, a year earlier? Yeah, so like, um, we, so was he at the we same were school? first. No, we weren't because I went to all girls school. I went to Auckland girls. So I met her. He was already boxing, so I already knew of him. But he went to course, like literally a street away from my school. Mm. And then I, he was friends with my friends, the ones like they were in my class. And then so I met him through there. And then we just started being friends. Yeah, and yeah. Did, like, did you did you like him straight? Was there an attraction no, straight away? No, no, there wasn't. We were just friends at first. Yeah, and because I was like, okay, cool. I like I hang out with boys, so like I started hanging out with him and his friends, and just clicked. And then all of a sudden, I was like, oh, I was like, what the heck is this? <laughs> He's like, I like you. I was like, what? 
Oh, don't look at me like that. Oh, because you'd, you'd never had a boyfriend before. You, no. you were mates with lots of boys, but you'd yeah. never had like a boyfriend. But or I never a... thought boys would look at me like that. Like, you know, I just thought, oh, yeah, boys. And I was like, no, what the heck? Don't like me. I was like, no, you're going to, like, it's, yeah. So at first it went like that. And then my friends kind of like pushed me and they're like, nah, you should go. And I was like, nah, I don't want a boyfriend. I was like, I kind of like myself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so then you sort of just find yourself in this relationship. Yeah, he just then... kept bugging me. <laughs> you know, he just kept annoying me. And then, over, like, would show up at my school after school and I'd be like, oh, gosh. I was like, Oh, I'm going to training. <laughs> and they were like, oh, okay, I'll come with you, walk with you, because uh, he's going to the training. I'm like, oh, bloody hell. Right, so like he, was, he, was, he was right into you. So, so, so what did you think at the time? You were just sort of like confused or did you just, you, you feel like you couldn't say no? No, I was did you, confused because he just kept like just buggering, like bugging me and just like always hanging out with me. And I was like, Oh gosh! And then he just kept saying, "Can you please be my girlfriend? Can you please be my girlfriend?" I was like, "I don't even know what that is." <laughs> mm. But was was he quite nice and charming back then? He was nice. Yeah, yeah. But then, like, started clicking because he was into stuff that I liked. So he started figuring out that oh, she's really into this, and I was like, "Yep." And then so we started gelling into that. What like like boxing? Yeah, boxing. I like. Yeah, I liked boxing and like. See, like, my favourite fighter is Rocky Marciano, so, like, he started figuring that out, and then he'd oh, be like, so he paid, like, interest in what I liked. Mm. And at the same time, I was going through my mum and dad's breakup, yeah. too, so that was kind of like, it's I lost, lot. me and my dad, our relationship was, like, so close and tight, so it was like, as soon as my dad walked out, I lost that male figure, Yeah. and so then, because him and my mum was split, it pushed me towards, so then I started depending on him, even though he was bugging me, I was like, oh man, I've lost male in my life, because my other male that I was really close to was my papa, he passed away at the same time, like around that same time, so then I fell into that that trap, and I was kind of like, okay, this this is where I need to be, because I've got no other male in my life. Mm. God, you're, you're really smart and insightful, eh? Have you, have you had any therapy or anything, or you just... No. So you, so- <laughs> so you just you, you just figured out that you were drawn towards this guy the same age because of you know the, the issues with your parents like that's yeah. so insightful you just figured that out on your own yeah yeah you can see that but you couldn't see it, probably see it at the time but you see it no, now with hindsight yeah, yeah and wisdom it, yeah yeah so and and so when does the proposal happen how long are you together before oh here we go that's a long story <laughs> man so um, my mum was very strong and deep in faith. So we were very, like, we were brought up in, my mum was, like, very, like, Christian. So we had to obey and stick to the Christ. Like, I always honoured my parents because it was part of, like, I had a faith too and I believed in that faith. So I honoured that and my mum was like, okay. So because I fell at this around, like, after we started building a relationship, like, a year later, I fell pregnant with my son, which I didn't know I was pregnant because I was still getting my regular period. So I was like, oh. And then I was like, I find out I'm pregnant at 28. I'm like 20 weeks, I think. Oh, shit. Yeah. Like almost in the third trimester. Yeah, and I was still training. I was still doing boxing, like full-on sparring. <laughs> and I went to Rainbow's End. <laughs> and I'm riding the um, roller coasters at 20 uh, weeks. Uh, just, just quietly. Like I'm, I'm more concerned about the boxing training than, <laughs> than, than, than going on the log flume ride. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was actually still sparring. 
Oh my god, that's amazing. Because my weight hadn't like gained. All I had was like a little like bare, like it felt like a bare belly, you know. Right, yeah, but you weren't sort of showing at all. No. And you didn't feel sick, no morning sickness or no, no. no. And I was still getting my regular periods. So that's why I was like, Oh, I was just putting on a little bit of weight. What the heck's going on with my body? And then like um one day, like the next day I was like to my mum, like, Mum, I'm like I'm like, I don't feel well, I'm shaking. And then she was like, okay, we better take you to the doctors. Take me to the doctors, they're like, you're pregnant. And I'm like, oh, am I? And they're like, it seemed quite far away. And I was like, can't be, I'm still getting my period. And so we have a scan, they're like, you're 20 weeks. And I'm like, what? I just like, for, I was just sparring last week. And I was at the Rainbow's <laughs> End on the roller coaster. To, well, to be honest, I feel like the hot dogs at Rainbow's End are probably more dangerous for an unborn child than the roller coaster there. Hey, corkscrew, it's fine. Yeah. Um, so, uh, uh, so you just, as, because if you look like your religious faith, you think, well, I'm, I'm pregnant. I've got to do the right thing and get married before baby. Well, my mum, she was like, <laughs> my mum was like, you can't, well, because we stuck to our faith and it, like that was part of our home and rules. And so mum was like, you can't live under this roof unless you get married. That's the rules. And then I was like, okay. She's like, if you trust your faith, you'll do it. And I was like, okay. So to me, I was like, oh, I never wanted to get married. This is wrong. But then I knew it was right because I've got to honour. Like, I believe in the Ten Commandments, so you've got to honour your parents. Yeah, but you, could you not say to your mum, well, look, mum, your marriage didn't last? Yeah. Oh, that tried, but that's not good enough. <laughs> and what did she say? Do as I say, not as I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because at the end of the day, she's still the parent, and yeah. you still got to honour it. So that's what I just stuck to. And, like, it wasn't just my mum. It was, like, our pastor as well at the time. He was pushing because he was, like, no. And so he was pushing my mum because we couldn't have that. So I was, like, which way do I go? Would I rather be homeless or take the marriage? And so, like, I tried to run away and... As I did, I ran to my auntie's, which was my mum's sister, and, like, hid there. And then my mum had, like, this big family, like, meeting. And my family were against it because they did not want it to happen because they were like, she's too young. Yeah. So you were were 18 at this point or still 17? Still 17. Mm. Yeah. Oh man, this yeah. is this is this is really this is heartbreaking to hear. So, you, like, you knew in your heart of hearts that it wasn't the right thing to be doing. Yeah, like I felt like no, I don't want this. Like, I just, I've only known him for a year, and but I respected and honoured it. So that's just how I was, and I respected my mum because I loved my mum, and she she was trying to respect her pastor's rules too, and she just didn't want me under that roof. So I was like, which way do I pick? Do I pick? my mum or do I go live out on his side of the family or live out on the street and be homeless with a new with a like unborn child because I was I hadn't had my son yet and I was still pregnant and then like I literally just before we had the marriage I gave birth to my son which was like oh no so gave birth. Why, why was why was it oh no because he was born so early all right right so like literally eight weeks later I had him at 21, oh, 28 weeks. So he was born, like, very prim and, like... So yeah, like two months early, yeah. Yeah, and see, like, can you just imagine my emotions and feelings? Everything in my mind is, like, going crazy because I'm literally losing fluid around my son and they tell me he's got a 50-50 chance of living. So I'm just, like, I feel like I'm mentally stuffed, already because i'm like what the heck my son's only got 50 before i even gave birth 
the hospital told me. Yeah, it's a lot. It's yeah. a, I mean, and you're you're a kid yourself. Yeah, that's exactly right. I was like, I felt like a kid, and so I've got my mum's like pressuring me about a marriage, and then also I'm trying to give birth to a son that I think is not going to live, and then so I'm like, oh my gosh, he's got a fifty fifty chance of living. I give birth to my first son, he gets ripped away from me straight away. To go in an incubator or yeah, yeah because yeah. I didn't even get to hold. You know, most people would like yeah. get their baby straight away. I didn't even get it; got straight ripped out of me, and I was like, "Oh, what the heck!" And I didn't get to see him straight away. Like they had to check him and make sure that he could breathe, everything. So that was all the biggest, the most scariest thing in my life because I was like, "Oh my gosh!" And then when they took me to him, they were like, "We don't know if your son's going to survive." You know, he's way too early. He's born with a hole in his heart and multiple things. And then also I fought the, like, they wanted to give steroids, but I said no because I was just like, I don't know what, you know, because I'm just a young teenager and mm. I have no idea what the heck, like, I'm thinking steroids, you know, like steroids that they give for, like. Bodybuilders. Yeah, bodybuilders. <laughs> so I'm like, no, no. So I said no at all, at all costs to everything. And I was like, no, my son will he can fight this and so yeah that was hard and then so my emotions mentally I felt broken so the only thing I was just like okay the only thing I left okay let's just get married who cares I just did it because at that point that was the least of your concerns it was yeah. like whatever it's because like you know it's like the impulse thinking you're just like who cares just do it because you're just like all you're caring about is your son because they're telling you he, you don't know if he's going to survive or yeah. not so, like, you're focusing on your son and you're just like, okay, whatever you throw at me, I don't care. Yeah, let's just do it. Yeah, everything else is irrelevant. And yeah. and, and was the um, – did you enjoy the wedding? Like, I mean, it's – yeah, I suppose you can look look back now knowing where this story goes and, and think nothing but hatred about it. But at, at the time, was it an exciting time or not really? Were you just that yeah, focused? It yeah, it was, like, it was something positive for me. Like, I was like, yay, like, cool, this – I'm doing something fun, like, you know, because – I've just had that, you know, I've just had, like, my parents ripped away from me and then my son ripped, like, being told that he's only got 50-50 chance. So we were living on, like, he had a heart monitor and, you know, I couldn't even take my own son home. So it was just very frustrating. And then having the wedding was, like, something positive. It didn't make me happy because yeah. it was happy to see all my family together. But I knew my family didn't like it because they didn't approve of it. They didn't approve because you were young or they or they had a bad vibe about him? They, because I was my age, yeah, right, they right. were against it. They were just like, no. But they still supported me and cared for me and they still showed up. And they, I knew my family didn't accept it because I, I felt it. But they also were there and it was good to see them all there because I love my family. Yeah. Like, family means everything to me. Oh, I can tell. Yeah. I can tell when you speak about them and when you speak about those years growing up north. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the, the kinner. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just the, the way your eyes pop out of your head when you talk yeah, about yeah, slurping those raw kinners. Yeah, it's yum. It's delicious. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, so when, when, like, when did the cracks start to show in the marriage? How long? Um, it would have been like the cracks was showing with my like after my son because I was always look like looking after him all the time. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of stress and pressure. Yeah. And so, like, I would always spend a lot of time at the hospital, and, like, sometimes I needed rest, and I would be like, oh, can you watch, can you go up to the hospital for the day so I can have rest? Because we weren't allowed to stay there. And he'd be like, oh, um, I've got this, and I'd be like, what are you doing? Like, here's me having no idea what he's doing. I'm just like, okay, well, must be going to hang out with friends. Not realising that, oh, he's hanging out with drug people, you know? 
Oh, was he on the gear then? Oh, I know he was definitely on weed. Yeah, right, yeah. right. <sighs> so, yeah. Man. Crazy, eh? Yeah. So, so your son makes it through that that troublesome period. How, how long is he like in, in an incubator for? A year. A year? Yeah, about a year. How is he? How old is he? He's, he's your eldest now, eh? Like 15, 16. 16, 16. yesterday. How is he? He's all good? He's good as. Yeah. Yep. I've always, I've taught, like, I've always kept my son active. Like, I made him do legs straight away. He was really good at it. But then, like, he did it for two years, and then this third year, we kind of pushed about, like, I was pushing it a bit too hard. And, like, he kept collapsing, and then we realised it was taking stress on his heart. Because I, I just treat him like he's normal, and, like, he they'll tell me, oh, he needs these ventilators to help him breathe. <laughs> Chuck those away. Because I'm just like, no, you need to learn to breathe on your own. <laughs> but it worked in the end you yeah, know? yeah 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 <laughs> I know I should be listening to doctors but I'm just like no I don't want my son depending on something because to me it's like you know when people get addicted to drugs and so that's how I saw it like his dad gets addicted to drugs so I'm like if you're going to get addicted and depend on that for the rest of your life no way so just learn your own technique mm. and he eventually got it but I knew I had to take him out of league it was too much, too much stress on him. Yeah, yeah, because he started doing like marathons and all that, and he just he'd get like my son would make it to the finish line and he'll collapse, and then we have to rush him to hospital. Oh yeah, that's never a great sign. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, <laughs> oh my gosh, shakes, and I, I was like, yeah. why did you push it? And he was like, because I was trying to. And I was like, no, you're not allowed to push that hard. Yeah. Remember, son, you only got a heart, a small heart. So yeah, and then we kind of stopped it, and I was like, you need to do something else. So lucky for my aunties, they put them into bowls, so. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Yeah, I don't know how much you want to get into this or not, but um, I mean, on the Sunday piece you talked about, um, there's an awful story there where you talk about domestic violence that's happening yeah. to you in, in, in your bed. I'm guessing that was further on. That yeah, was further on. Yeah, these things tend to escalate. Can you remember the first time? The first, how did it start? Poof. Started with verb, like ver- Verbal, verbally, yeah. just just mentally grinding first, you down. Yeah. yeah, mentally he was breaking me slowly, which I didn't know. Like I look back and I'm like, oh my gosh, he was mental. Like because you, like, you, 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 you didn't have that experience growing up, eh? Hey? You, 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 no. And, and your your whanau environment, there was no like um yeah, you, like your mum and dad were never like that with each other. No, or, no way. Yeah. My mum and dad never. My dad didn't even smack me. Like never. My mum used to smack me with a wooden spoon and it was like a little tap and I used to laugh and I'd be like, is that all? And she'd say, you want another one? And I'd be like, yeah, go ahead. 
and should get angry and should be like, get out of my face. Yeah. yeah. So, so, yeah, what did that mental abuse look like? And when did that start? How far into the marriage? Oh, would have been after I had my second child. Yeah. Which was my daughter. That's when it's like really started. It, so after a couple of years, a few years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how's my daughter? Um, my daughter was a year apart from my son. So not long after I had my daughter, I like, he's, was like always telling me like you're not like started controlling me like you're not allowed to do this you're not allowed to do that and then I'd like okay why not and then I I'll push the boundary and then he would like give me a twat and I'll be like you're give you give you what give me a twat like you know like a a whack across the face right and I'm like oh, like a slap yeah yeah and I was like what was heck you're not allowed to do that I was like my dad's never done that to my mum and he was like well you need to learn and I was like okay so I was like. Okay, and he's like, don't you ever tell anyone either? And I was like, I'm telling on you. And then he was like, you go tell and that's it. You're going to get another one. And I was like, well, I'll keep telling. And yeah, that. So you were strong and feisty. This yeah. is this is, this is the, um, the heartbreaking thing for me about your story, Mia. Like, you, you did all the right things. Like, you, you did everything that, that every rational person would do in that situation, you know? Yeah. At every step of the way, and it still happened. It's heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah. And then, it, so it just escalates from there? Yeah, it just slowly starts escalating. And then, like, I start seeing, like, bongs and, like, you know, weeds stuff. And I was like, why are you smoking weed? Like, because I was so anti. And he was like, you can't tell me what to do. And then he would be, like, telling me, like, you need to go get a job. So I'll get a job and listen, like, respectfully because, like, okay, this is me and my knowledge and my theory and my brain, just for me, I would be like, okay, I have to, you know, he's my husband now. I've got to respect him. I've got to honour him, you know, stick to the rules of what the Bible says. Mm. So I never looked at the worldly rules. I always looked at the Bible rules. That's just how I viewed my life. And so I was like, okay, you know, and I didn't believe in divorce because that's so wrong. The Bible, Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I believed, like, divorce was a sin. So I was like, no, I don't want to go to hell, <laughs> you know. So I just tried to look after and, like, honour what my husband said. And he'd be like, you have to go to work. I never controlled any money or anything. He controlled it all because I didn't know he would pay. And he'd be like, okay, you get this. And I'd be like, okay, cool. And I wasn't allowed to spend my own money. So he controlled everything, even, like, t- told me to get my licence. And, you know, he controlled my licence, my passport, all that stuff. And I just... I was like, kind of like, is this normal? But I saw it normal in his family, you know. I started seeing how so. Like, was is he from that sort of? Is that how he? Is, is that the yeah. sort of behaviour he saw growing up? Yeah, that's the behaviour he's used <sighs> to. So, like, I would see it in like it's in his mum and his dad and then like his family. So it was like, okay, is this, this is normal for this? Okay, I don't see this in my family. Mm. And then so I was like, okay, maybe my family's different. And then. So that was normal. And then I go to their town and it's exactly the same. And I was like, every female's getting treated like that. Yeah. And I mean, there's, like, there's, there's absolutely no excuse for that behavior. And there's that um, you know, phrase that's been used over and over and over again over the years about breaking the cycle. So I suppose you can get out of that environment and it's just like learned behavior. So it's you carry behavior. it on yeah. or you can, you can make an effort to do better and say, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. So ultimately it's a, it's a decision that stops with the individual. Yeah. Yeah. It, oh mate, I'm so sorry. That's, that's bloody terrible. So you, you were basically like a hostage. Yeah. Like a hostage in your, in your own, in your own, in your own life. 
yeah, and so like he slowly started like just like hitting me and then punching me, and then it just got worse. And then because I started figuring out like because I didn't even know what like he was like I had no idea, and I would like see like it looked like a lolly bag like full of sugar, <laughs> and like I don't know what it was, and like, I was like what the heck is this shit. And, like, so I'd be like, oh, my gosh, okay, is this normal? Is this – I was thinking, oh, okay. So I'd just chuck it in the bin. And then, like, his erratic behavior would, like – he would be up and down. It was, and I'd be like, what's going on? What have I done? And he just started, like, completely abusing me. Like, there would be days where I, could, I wouldn't even be able to leave the house because I couldn't even get to the door because I would, like – he'd just smash me so bad, like, with, like – it could be even with a chair, crowbar, hammer, whatever. I will be like sleeping in my bed and he'll come home at like, probably because he's been arrested and like I didn't know. And he'll just rip the blanket off me and just start smashing me. And I'm like, whoa, what the heck? And then I would like try to feed myself at the same time. And I just, I couldn't run anywhere because he would threaten me. He would say like, if you go to anyone, I will hurt your family. And I'd be like, what the heck? Or the kids are in danger. And so I was like living under his finger, you know, like literally living under his roof and stuck because I felt like I couldn't go out because I was so scared because if I did get out, which I did try to escape, when I did try to escape, he would only find me again. Mm. And so I was like, is this normal? Like, is this how I'm going to have to live my life? Like, I'm never going to. I've tried to run away and it never worked because he'd always find me and he'd always catch me and he'd be like, no. And then I'm, uh, I would like not know how to live. And then like I was ashamed to tell my family because I was like, no, if I tell my family, my family are going to be in danger. And then so just me being like, sheets, okay, i got to stay in silence. And I know my family had a little bit of idea, but they were waiting for me. They didn't want to step in because there would be times where I'd be like, no, you're all wrong because I would just be like, I'd go denying it because you're embarrassed or not, I, you feel not ashamed even, or not even just ashamed. I was too scared because I didn't want to hurt my family members, right? Because he had already hurt my uncles, you know. Like my uncle tried to say something, and then his his mates all showed up at with like firearms at my uncle's house. So I was like, because I spoke to my uncle, and then my uncle was like, oh my gosh, he was like. He ended up getting in trouble. My uncle ended up getting in trouble. The police arrested my uncle because, you know, it's my uncle's word against them because there's how many. And the cops can only do so much. And then you go to court. The court are going, you have to show evidence to the court. So you can never, you can never win once it's, you can tell the police and the police can only take it so far. And then it's like, okay. Oh, this is heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, so, so what's your relationship like with the police now? I don't trust them mm. because they let you down. They let me down, like, big time. They try to help, but like you take it to the, the the courts, and then if the police don't have the evidence, and see, I'm telling you now, they like their gang, gangs know the system. They know <laughs> how that yeah. court system works. Not their works. first rodeo. Yeah, and they know as long as you've got people to vouch for you. It's your word. It was one person against how many? You know, and I look like the liar. So oh. I'm the one that's getting a bloody warrant out for my arrest because I'm the liar. 
So I, I like sitting in front of you today, I, I can't imagine you ever being any different to the bubbly, vivacious person I'm seeing now. Were, were you like this then or were you sort of, you know, were you sort of like head down? Were you, I was, was, head down. was your demeanor different? Yeah. Or my demeanor was real different. Mm. Like I was very depressed. I was very angry. I didn't trust anyone. I couldn't stand looking. I did not trust males. Like I literally hated males. Like I used to think that every male was evil and nasty because I even like my dad walked out when my dad left and I, I would be like, my dad didn't even want to help me, you know, cause he, he was, he was living his own life too. But I never, like when I did go to my dad, he was so busy with his own work life and his own family that I was like, okay, I can't go to my dad. So like, I didn't trust males. I hated them because they, they always failed me. And like, I looked at the justice system and they failed me as well. And I was always like living life on the run because I'll try to run away from him. And then I just think males, all males want to do is they only want, you know, they only want to hurt you and destroy you. Like not just, not physically, but also mentally, you know, they never really, that's how I looked at males. Like they never really looked at us for who we are they just looked at us for like you know you're property you're just a property yeah Mm. and so like males would say the meanest things even females would say the meanest things but i had such a bad wall against males that i just i understandable understandable so so um what what kept you alive over these years was it just the kids like it wasn't just my kids it was my also my faith like but there was time, like there was so many times I wanted to give up on life because I was like, I can imagine because you you would have thought this this is it this this is it and this is this is my lot in yeah. life until I die this yeah. is until I die or get killed whatever yeah because even first. when he got went to prison I was like yeah I'm 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 kind of free and then like but I was also traumatized because when I was free he he'd get out once he's he was free and he'd get out straight away back and he'd find me again. Oh, so this was like so. While you were still together, he would had be arrested and do sh- like short legs or something. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then oh, I'd be like, "Yes, okay, they're keeping him." And then no, they're not keeping him because he found a way out. You know, oh, they always knew a way out. There's always a way out. The the justice yeah. system doesn't fully keep them in there for what they've done. And I'm like, I just I truly believe that our bloody crime laws are so weak. They're too kind. Yeah, they are. They really are. Yeah. Um, so what, what was the last draw? The last draw was when he, I was trapped. Oh, not when I was trapped. When I was in, at home and my daughter took a knife for me. So literally he was about to stab me and literally she jumped in front of him and she grabbed me for, to save my life because she knew he was going to stab me. How old was she? She would have been about eight years old. Yeah. How is she? How old is she now? Fourteen, thirteen. She's fourteen. Fourteen. Yeah. How How is she? How are the kids? Do they they're, have PTSD or anything? No. 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 They're really good, actually. One thing I never did was I never put um, hatred on my kids towards their dad. So I always made sure my children's health, mental health was really important. Like I really treasured and look after my kids have mental health. So I always told them, whatever your dad did to me is not because it's not your guy's fault. He loves you no matter what. But whatever happened between me and your dad is between me and your dad. It's not your guy's fault. So I'd always make sure that my kids knew that 
their dad loved them even though what he's doing was wrong but I made sure that 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 was that was my children's judgment to make not me telling them I never told never speak bad about their dad to them because and I always told my family never speak ill about my kid's dad mm. because I wanted my children to make their own choice and I never stopped my kids from seeing their dad like I'd always say to them you can speak to your dad you can see your dad I never stopped that because I made them make their own choices because I truly believe that's not my choice to choose for my kids how they feel about their dad just because I had that, yeah. that's what I had to keep separate which was the hardest thing that's the hardest thing as a parent is trying to separate your children like making sure that their feelings is theirs not me telling how my children should feel wow you're st you're so strong to be able to compartmentalize like that and not project onto the kids yeah um that's phenomenal that's but incredible is, but see how i saw it that's the reason why i did it because a lot of kids parents put so much pressure on children mm. that's why our kids are killing themselves you know that's why their mental health and they can't handle it because the parents like say like I've seen some parents and they're like, you're not allowed to talk to your dad because he was so nasty to me. And then the, it's not the child's fault, though. It's, it's not the child's fault why he, the dad was nasty to you. So, you know, because parents don't realise that they they shift the blame and put all the pressure on the children. Yeah. So And they make the children suffer. I never wanted that for my children. I always wanted my children to make sure, key thing I knew that I wanted my kids to make sure that both parents loved them. No matter what we did, I wanted to always make sure it stayed between me and the father, not me, the father, and the kids, which is unfair. Yeah, so um, the kid's father, he's still incarcerated now? Yeah, he's still incarcerated. If, if, he, if he hadn't been incarcerated, like, what do you think your life would look like now? Would you still be in this cycle, do you think? Or do you think you would have found, um, a, found a way to... I think I would be tormented by him. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, 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 it doesn't... You can't flick a switch just like that. Mm. It takes time. Well, are you, like, are you worried about when he comes out? No. No? I'm not How worried. come? I'm at peace with him. Yeah. I'm healed. The, you know, what he's done, he's got to own up to that, and that's for him. But all I want for him is to have a relationship with his children and he needs to make it right for his kids because at the end of the day, they're the ones suffering, mm. not me. Do they, do they go and visit him? Do they have any sort of relationship? No, they're not allowed to visit him. Right. How I, come? I don't want my children looking yeah. into the prison system. I've been there and it's not a pretty sight. Yeah. And I feel like that's not, they shouldn't see him like that because it can change their perspective of how they love their dad. Cause it's, it's, you're you're in with nasty people, and yeah. I, I truly believe that's not how my kids should see their dad. I allow him to speak to them, and he can speak to them on the phone, but they're not allowed to go in. Yeah, so it's the rule I won't have. And and when you think about that guy now, um, like given, given what he's done to you, he tormented you for like the best part of what ten years? Yeah, ten years. Ten years. Like, like when when you think back now, like do, what do you think of him? Do you do, like is it, is it anger? Is there a bit of pity? If you asked me last year, I hated him. Yeah. But if you ask me today, I feel sorry for him. Because he's he's the one that missed out his children's growth. You know, he missed out on the years. It's sad because, like, say if he was to die tomorrow, that's how his kids are going to know him. You know, he leaves that kind of sadly. That's what I feel sorry for. Because my kids are the ones that are going to hurt the most. 
Yeah, and your, those, those kids, I mean, it's a credit to you as a parent, I think, that they're strong and resilient. But I wonder if they're going to, yeah, if this is going to bubble up to the surface over the years. Like, they've seen some stuff, right? Like the yeah. knife story you told before. And then, then there was a story you told on Sunday about um, him attacking you with a, like a bat or a weapon when you yeah. were in bed. And the and kids like, were in bed with you. Yes. They've seen it all. But the thing is, I've really looked after my children's mental health and I've yeah. really made, I've really told, like, I can sit down to, with my kids and tell them. Like, they can speak about their father and tell me how they feel. And I, I don't get angry at one bit. And I say to my kids, like, you know your dad really loves you and don't ever blame your guys self for what he done to me. Because I said, that was, I try really separate it really hard. And my kids, my son said to me last year when he did find, because he didn't know the full extent, but once he found out the full extent, he was like, Angry? No, he wasn't actually. He goes, Mom, I knew you went through things, but I didn't realize you went through so much. And I he goes, why didn't you ever tell us? And I said, because I wanted you to make your own choice about how you feel about your dad, not the picture that I had for him. And then my son was like, Mom, I'm so grateful that you did that because I appreciate you more for doing that. Well, you're the, you're, you're the better person. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, and like my son said, you never turned our father against us. And I was like, no, and I never turned them against their father. Because that's not that's not right. I shouldn't be the one to tell my children that. That's their choice. You know, when people say you have a choice, well, allow them to have their choice. Yeah. And that's what, because it's, like, it's like if my mum was to tell me, because I learned through myself, so I look back, my mum didn't give me the choice. She told, she gave me two options. So you're forcing someone that they don't want to do something and and how they feel. I never wanted that for my children. To have a like me, because what my mum did to me and said, or my aunties or my family members, anyone that said, no, you're not allowed to do that, you have to do this. And I never had a choice. So I always made sure that I never wanted that for my children because it, it stuffed me up mentally yeah. as well. Because look what it did. It made me go like, oh, okay, I have like impulsive thinking. But if my children, I'm real strong on telling my children, express how you feel. It's okay. If people don't like it, then that's their problem. But you have a choice. Don't ever let someone force you to do something that you don't want. And so I had to stick to that. You know, what I'm preaching, I have to stick that with also with the way they are with their father. And also because I need to protect their mental health because I'm their mother. Yeah. Are you, like, is there any sort of resentment or chip on your shoulder towards, your, you know, your mum for the religious beliefs or for your religion in general? No, 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 I still love my mum the same because if I didn't, you know, one thing I can say is if I never went through that, I wouldn't be where I am today. You know, I wouldn't be appreciating my children. I wouldn't be appreciating life, you know. It's I, a, hell of a, a hell of a thing to go to though. Yeah, it's a hell of a thing. That. But yeah. then also I'm blessed because I wouldn't be here. Uh, like I, it made me into a stronger woman, but also it made me into, I truly believe, a great mum. And that's, that's all I want. I want to be the best mum for my children. Because if I never went through that, then I'd never know what my daughters, what I have to do to protect my daughters. Yeah. So if my daughter ever gets in this situation, I will drop everything, pick my daughter up and leave the country if it means, and, talk, and give her time to heal. I will do everything 
in my power to make sure that my daughter never goes through that. Yeah, and because you've been so open about your own journey, it did take you a while to get to that point, but, but you know, you're so open about it now. I suppose it, it says to your kids that if you're going through anything like this, you come to me and talk to me about it and yeah. we'll make shit happen. Why, why did it take you so long? Why did you feel guilt and shame about it? You must have known it, wasn't, it was not your fault and nothing to do with you. I felt ashamed because of my pride. Yeah. Yeah. I was very thinking about my pride, like, no, I should, you know, why would you put yourself through this? And then Mm. also I was living in fear. I was scared of him and I was scared of the people that were with him. I was scared for my own family and I was scared for my own children because I thought my children would be in danger from other people as well. Yeah, so the threats he made, you had every reason to believe they were genuine. Yeah. 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 Because a lot of the threats did happen. So when he did threaten me, it would happen, and I would be like, okay, he's not mucking around. This is serious. Yeah. Yeah. So he he exits your life. Um, how long does it take to rebuild after that? Oh. Like where, like where, where do you start? Because you, you had no – you married him when you were 17. You had no – you said he, he took your, you know, your driver's license, took care of all the banking. So where do you start? So you're an adult with two kids. Yeah. How do you start to – I had three. Oh, three at that point. Three at that point. Three to him or the third one was to... No, three to him. Three to him, right. Yep, I had three. And I was lucky I had aunties that looked after the two old... And my mum looked after the two oldest ones. And then my third one, he was always with me. Yeah. yeah. Did, did the, the abuse stop for a time when you were pregnant with number three? No. No. Oh. No, it didn't stop. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. I don't wish it upon anyone. <laughs> Oh, this is terrible. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah. Where, where, like, where do you? St- did you just like take take the three kids in the car and go up north? Like, go to the Fano? Like, where, what? How do you begin? Um, I literally just. Do you know that's the most blankest time for me? Because I literally felt like a ghost because I didn't know how to operate. I didn't know what to do with my life because I was so stuck in ways that I was used to. So you're, and you're like 26, 27 at this point? Yeah, yeah. and I have no idea how to be. So I kind of lost my way because I was very depressed at the same – but I didn't know I was depressed. But I was very um, hidden. I didn't want anyone – I struggled to be around people. So the person that, like, really supported me was my nan. She was my best friend. And then also my best friend, she helped me as well. And I just started, like, taking day by day, but I was struggling at the same time. Like, that, actually, when he left, that was probably the most hardest time for me because... You had to I, learn all these new, like, skills to survive in life. I thought I felt like a preschooler, Yeah, you know? Like, I didn't know what to do. I didn't even know what I wanted for my life. I was so like, what am I going to do, like... I had three kids, and then I felt so pathetic. You know, that's the best way I can put it. I felt so pathetic and useless that I was so scared to even try to take a step out. Like, I would go to, like, a bank and then all the more, and I'd, like, have anxiety because and I'd, like, be in panic mode and be like, oh, my gosh, what the heck? Why is everyone, like, I'd be like, well, what do I do? And I didn't know. I was so scared that I needed my siblings to help me. Like, I'd get my sister, and she'd be like, what the heck? Why? You can do it yourself. <laughs> and I was like, I can't. 
and then even my nan, I was like, my nan understood it, so she would like help me, and I'd like, I'd say to my nan, like, I don't know what I'm going to do with myself, what am I meant to do? And she was like, just take one day at a time, and I was like. That's great advice. Yeah, and I was like, what do you mean one day at a time? Because I would be in so much pain, I'd cry. Not cry, I'll so much cry. pain, and what what sort of pain? Like I'll be because everything's hitting me, you know, yeah. and it's coming. Like, why did I go through that? Why was I? Why did I allow that for myself? And I'd say to her, like, I'd pull my eyes out to my nan and be like, "Why do?" I? She was like, "It's not your fault, Papa." And I'm like, "No, nah, it is. It is because I'm the one that accepted this for my life. I accepted this, so I blamed myself a lot of it, and my." Nan would just be like, no, it's not. And she said, it's okay. Start new. Start new. And it was every day, start new. And I'd be like, okay, start new. So I started just doing doing baby steps and taking one day at a time. I would, it was never perfect. Like, I would break some days. Just randomly I would break. Like, I will collapse the floor and start crying. Well, re- rebuilding your life never goes in a straight line, does it? No. And it's... Um yeah, it's like every, every day is a brand new day and so you can put your head on the pillow at night and it may have been a shit day. Maybe a shit day when you wake up the next day, yeah. but, but there's a chance. There's a chance it's going to be a better day. Yeah, and some days I would be like, oh my gosh, like I wish I would just get a hit because I got so used to it. So it's like, wake me up. And I would like, be like, come on, wake up, wake up. Like, what the heck's going on? Because I got used to it. So it came normalised to me and then not having that was so like, it was so weird. It felt it did not feel normal to me, but it was normal. What I was going through was wrong. Yeah, but the the cycle of domestic violence had become your new normal, I guess, because yes, you'd been there did. for so many years. Oh, that's terrible. So I didn't understand, <sighs> and then so slowly every day I was doing something, and I was trying to come out of my comfort zone. Then, like, so much to learn. It must just seem like the steepest mountain to climb. Yeah, and then like my friend, she like would come over all the time and just grab me out and be like. No, come on, you're getting up. And then I'll be like, no, I'm not leaving the house. And she would just make me, I had no choice. Yeah. She would chuck me in the car and drag me, pick up your lips. And I'll be like, no, I want to leave. Is is your nan still alive? She sounds incredible. No, she passed away. Wow. What an inspirational woman. Yeah, she was. Yeah. So, um, so are you with a partner now? No. No. So you you got three kids to um, the the domestic abuser and two to my like a previous partner. Yeah, was that a good relationship? Yeah, it was okay. Yeah, yeah. I think he was just all learning too because it was his first relationship, and like, you but I mean, I think I I struggled the most with that because I would always like attack him because that was what I was used to. So if he raised his voice. I would naturally, like, no, I will just physically punch. Oh. Even I would be, like, going to sleep, and he'll be right there, bang. I would throw my fist, because that's that's just how I lived my life. Yeah. So I was traumatized. So going going from a newer relationship, he kind of, like, went through the walls of me as well, because I became the abuser towards him. <laughs> yeah, but just, I suppose you've been in survival mode for so many yeah. years, it was like a, Wow. But he understood. But, 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 but that's um, oh, yeah, was he a good man? Yeah, he was yeah. good. But like, I think he just got really. It, it was hard because like I kept like. I suppose any partner you had at that time was going to be like unpicking you know, yeah. your issues from the previous decade. Yeah, 
And then so we kind of like just parted ways. Yeah, you know? ran its course. But now we're just friends. Yeah. You know, and he we co-parent and he helps with the kids. So like he's always sees the kids and he's real helpful and he supports me, which is really good. So whatever I need. He can be a hoha sometimes. Like, what's, a, what's a hoha? Like annoying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but he is helpful. He, he, is helpful. He, he sounds like a thoroughly decent man. I, I've, I've seen you punch. I wouldn't want to be punched by you. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a decent guy. Um, good for you. What's what's your relationship like with guys now? Like you have, um, you know, is there, is, is there trust issues or anger issues or? No, no, there's no anger issues. There's no trust issues. I just, I just like being on my own. Yeah, yeah. You've, you, I mean, you've been through. I think this this conversation is inspirational because, like, what you've been through and you've come out the other end and you've done all the work yourself. If you can get through this. Anyone can get through pretty much anything. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I believe anyone can, you know, they just got to keep, not give up, keep pushing, you know, and find ways. And you can do it on your own. You can get through it. You know, it's a battle, but don't give up. You know, stand up to them. Because, yeah, I never stood up to them towards the end. To, you know, towards the end, then I started being this really strong wahine and being like, nah, I'm not backing down, you know, so I wouldn't give up, even though I'd put myself in the fire line, but I was like, I'd get back straight up, and I like literally say, I don't back down to nobody, and once I started doing that, then I finally built the courage, and he started backing off. Mm, and that's the un- uncompromising Miyamoto that we see in the ring these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah it completely. Is. Yeah. Um, so, so when did when did boxing come and Isaac Peach come back into your life? When I had my second, oh, when I had my last child, right? Yeah, she was about, I think, like maybe a couple of months old. So this is baby number five. You're a mum of five. Yeah, mum of five. Yeah, baby su- superwoman, five. by the way. Like the amount that you <laughs> you get done. You're up at four in the morning. <laughs> Uh, off to a gym as a like a personal trainer. Yeah, yeah. Then back home to get the kids out of out of bed and ready for school. Yeah, and yeah, do I, the kid drop off. Yeah, it's a hell of a day. Meanwhile, yeah. training to be a world champion. Well, I it's like remarkable. to do, I like to do the kids drop off because I don't really get much time with my children because like they're going to school and then like after school I'm at training. So like me doing the drop offs and the pickups is really important because that's even though it's only a short time, it's still moments with my kids. So I really yeah. value that time with them. So, um, so you, you, you're the mum of five. You have five kids, and then you, you what? You decide, oh, I'm not busy enough. I don't have enough in my life. I need to go and see Isaac again. No. So, <laughs> what am I going to do with all this spare time? <laughs> no, actually, I didn't want. I only wanted to come back to boxing for training, like you know, oh, for fitness. I just like had a baby, so I was like, okay, I'm going to do something. And my partner at the time was like. Maybe you should go back to boxing because I was like, I only want to do some fitness. And he was like, Maybe you should go back to boxing. And I was like, Why? And he's like, Oh, because you're good at it. And I was like, Oh, nah. And he has never seen me fight anyway, so he wouldn't even know. And then I was like, You don't even know. He's like, Well, you, I've heard you are. And you've said you are. And I'm like, I didn't say I was good. He's like, Nah, you are. You should go give it a go. And I was like, Oh, okay. So I was like, I'll just do it for fitness. And he was like, Yeah, go on. So I literally was like, anyone want to do any training with me? And then Isaac messages me like, come to my gym. I'm only down the road, you little shit. <laughs> and then I was like, I was like, okay. Like, yeah, I'll come. And then he's like, better not lie because I've always said, yeah, I'll come. And, then, and you don't show. I don't show, <laughs> no. 
But this time I was like, okay, I'm going to do it because I've already said yes. And then, like, I show up at his house and I was like, why did I say yes? I was going to come. No, I don't want to let him down again. So I was like, nah, okay, I've got to push through this battle. Like, if I can get, I've been through the worst, let's go. Come on. Like, pick up your nuts. Like, to me, in my head, I was like, pick up your nuts, Maria, and be tough. Come on, walk in. (laughs) Because I was like, I was so scared. Like, no, what are they going to think of me? So I walk in the door and I was like, okay, I'm here. Like, I get through the door and he's like, "Yeah, come in," because he's shocked to see me. So, I, 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 so you, you, so you met him when you were a teen, um, pre-marriage, when you were boxing, and yeah. then through those years where you were in a, a violent relationship, like, yeah. were you still in touch with him or not at all? No, not really. I would uh, like see him like now and again, but like, hi. But yeah, so he had no idea of what was going on in your life? No, no. no. He had no idea. No, because I would only see Isaac passing moments, like, you know, yeah. out at the shops or anything, you know. But, or I'd see him at, like, a boxing tournament. But, yeah, I would never. Yeah, and what's, what's he, what's, what role is he, does he play in your life? How, like, how would you describe your relationship with him? He's like my brother. Yeah? Yeah. And his wife's like my sister. <laughs> You know, that's the best that's way so cool. It. Yeah, that's so cool. And he's been your biggest cheerleader, right? He was, he was telling everyone you'd be a world champion long before you believed it. Yeah, well, way long. Like he said it when I first walked in the door, and I laughed. I was like, "This guy's a joke." Bloody <laughs> <laughs> like, like, hell! What are you been drinking? <laughs> he wasn't drinking, but you know, yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Hell, I was talking your rubbish. Because I, I hated professional boxing. I was like, "Did you why? What do you mean?" Because I looked at it like, nah, I can't punch. And, like, those are for people that knock people out. So I was like, I hated pro boxing. I was so anti. I was like, nah, that's that's for big, tough, strong people. I'm like, I'm not that. I'm like a – I always viewed myself like I was a pitter-patter. Because, honestly, if you watch my amateur boxing, <laughs> it was like punch, run, punch, run, punch, run. Like, I would punch, run away. I was a counter boxer then. I would counter, and I was really, like – Tip. Is that just because like, you're trying to score points or whatever? Yeah, yeah right. Okay. I would like, I, I could never hit hard. I would just tap and run away, tap run away. But I suppose you, like, it's, you're doing what you need to in order yeah. to win the fight, right? Yeah. And then, like, when he said, he literally, because I was like, cool, yeah, I'm going to come do some training. He's like, yeah, I'm going to turn you into a professional. And I was like, oh, I thought you were talking about amateur. Like, I wouldn't mind just like having a few amateur fights. He's like, nah, you're going straight into the pros. And I was like, nah, he's joking. I was like, oh, I hate pros. Like, why would you do that to me? And then he was like, nah, you're going to be a mean pro fighter. You're going to be a world champion. I'm going to turn you into a world champion. And I was like, he's joking. Like, I laughed. I literally laughed. Didn't take him serious. Next day I showed up, training started, and I was like, oh, my gosh. Is this what training's like? Because I had to train with all the beasts. Like, you know, all the professionals and then all the amateurs. And I was like, I, like, just had a baby. And I had to try to keep up with them. And I was like, oh, my gosh, he's serious. And, like, I started doing sparring. And then he, and then he was like, oh, you've got to fight this time. And I was like, oh, he's really serious. Oh, no. I was like, no way. But then I was like, okay, I'll give it a crack. But if I don't like this, I'm out. I'm out. I'm walking. <laughs> That's how I saw it. Yeah, but it would like to have someone that believes in you that much. It must have meant so much. And I suppose eventually you're like, well, if he believes in me, maybe I should believe in myself. Yeah, because, yeah. like, then everyone will – and the gym started believing me. And they were like, nah, you're good. And I was like, everyone sees that. I was like, I can't even punch, though. Because I didn't know how to punch. Like, I literally didn't know how to punch, which I was shocked. Came to my first fight, and I was like, 
And um, Liam Lonigan, um, who you know very well, he sent me a video last week of you um, training with, um, is it Zen Peach? Yeah. Is that, is that um, Isaac's son? Yeah, he's the oldest. How, how old is he? He's eight. Eight. Yeah. yeah so, so the video that Liam Lonigan sent me, um, Zen's holding the pads and you're, you're punching them and you're punching them fucking hard. Yeah, I know how to punch now. So... <laughs> so, who, like, who is Zen Peach, and what, what's his role in all of this? Um, so Zen Peach has been alongside me from day one. He's like supported me, and he's always like, you know, he had this, he had this like list of like all his favorite fighters, and I was always in the top in the gym. I was always in his top three. So yeah, he's always supported me from the outside. But he got more, like, for this fight, he got a lot more invested in it. And he was like, I want to train Mia. He wanted to be more involved. And so he just become a natural. And, like, I just started, like, he just randomly took me for one training. And I was like, oh, can you keep teaching me, please? Because, like. What, what, what does an eight-year-old know? Oh, I know, I know, I know. I, I get that he's been raised in that environment, and he's like, you, you know, little boys want to be like their dad, so they copy. But eight, he knows nothing. Oh, he knows a lot. <laughs> he knows a lot. It's so funny because, like, he knows a lot that everyone wanted to steal him from me. I was like, oh, no, 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 this, I hit him first. What, what do you mean he knows a lot? Like he's he's like, like critiquing your technique, or is it more like a head coach than a technique coach, or what? Um, just. He sees he's got a really like it's the best way to put him is like his dad and his mum put together in one brain, and he's like, it's amazing. I, I freak out like how well he knows it, and he's like, no, you do it like this. He literally can mimic, mimic everyone in our gym, like our styles. It'd be like he'll be like, who's this fighter? And I'll be like, oh, that's Jerome. Who's this fighter? Oh, that's Andre. He literally knows how to mimic all of us. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. And does he um, do, does he give you like a pep talk before the fight or anything like that? Really? Eight-year-old? Yeah. Like what? What's an eight-year-old's pep talk? He just, what is he, he? He doesn't cross. He's never, ever, you know, he doesn't even need to talk to me. It's just his look and his language, his body language tells me at all. Because he literally says, he's always said, he's the only one that's never been like, if... If Mia wins, he's always like, no, not if, she will win. No one's ever going to hurt Mia. She's too strong. He trusts, he knows my ability because he's trained alongside me. And he just thinks that I'm a freak. So he's a freak himself in training. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. God, what a special kid. Yeah, yeah. And what a special relationship. Yeah. He's my best friend. I call him Co. And he calls me Co. What's Co stand for? Like, you know how you say Bro. Oh, yeah, yeah. But in the East Coast, they say co. Oh, did they? Yeah. <laughs> All right. And what does the future hold? So you've got this this world title now in the bantamweight division. Yeah. Um, what's next? Keep on fighting. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I love doing. I feel like that's a metaphor for you, not just in the ring in the boxing sense, but also outside of the ring as well. Yeah. Just keep fighting. Um, yeah. Keep, keep moving fighting, forward. Keep, keep pushing. pushing. Forward, yeah. But definitely, I want all the belts. What um, other belts do you need to get? Um, the IBF, WBO, WBA, WBC, Ring Magazine. Oh, yeah. There they a... are. They're all of them there. Oh, yeah. Well, I reckon you can do that by the end of the year. <laughs> yeah, if I fight every month without and, getting hurt. And because you're, you're pro, can you can you get good money? Like I'm, I'm thinking of, say, like Joseph Parker, 
um, Anthony Joshua, like Tyson Fury. Like, is it going to get to the point where you're making enough that you don't have to go to the gym at 4 a.m. to train other people? Nah, doesn't matter what money you put in front of me, it's still not going to change me. Oh, I love what I do. And the money doesn't put, nah, I don't care about money. It's not, it's not about the money for me. It's what I love. This yeah. is what I'm passionate. And, you know, to me, I look at, I view, like, everyone says money is, like, a bone, like, is good for you. You need money. You need, but I've never needed money. So I don't, like, I've never, like, you do need a certain amount of money, but, to like, get by. to yeah. get by. As long as I got a roof over my head and I'm able to feed my kids, that's, and I do what I love, I'm happy. You know, I'm happy as. Money doesn't make me happy because my kids is what makes me happy. And doing boxing, being in that ring, you can't put a price on that. Like, literally, if you're, like, if you're that passionate about boxing, you hop in that ring, oh, man, you can't buy that. That feeling and that just feeling so, like, it's just you and your opponent. That's that, 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 that feeling, what, what do you mean? Because you, you, your eyes light up when you talk about this. Now, as a non-boxer, I'm trying to understand it. Is it um, like an adrenaline rush that you get when you get hit or just an adrenaline rush that you get when you hit them and you can tell that you've hurt them? Or is it's it the both whole... ways. It goes both ways. Like one, I love, I love it when I step in the ring. I switch to the nightmare and then I'm like, okay, I'm this different. This is me. Like this is I feel at like I feel at home when I'm in that ring, and then I just look straight down at, at my opponent, and I'm like, Whew, which one's gonna get each other first? And I'm like, who's the bigger puncher, or who's gonna hurt? I'm like, are you gonna hurt me, or am I gonna hurt myself? Really, that's the challenge I I have. Like, I literally like when someone hits me good, I'm like, I wake up like honestly, if you if you've caught me with like a good punch I'll wake up and I'll be like I turn to like this my I just switch to like now I want to hurt you even more <laughs> makes you angry yeah it's like not even angry well, yeah, I don't you, get angry you, you I just, just you're it, mad uplifts, that you... it uplifts me and I'm like damn it she got me I'm gonna get her even gooder like no way that's the challenge I love so like I really love it when I'm in that ring and someone clocks me really good and you'll just see me go like like I'm chopping the tree down, you know, like just hacking into the tree. I'm like, that's how it feels like when you punch. Yeah, when someone hits me good like that, I'm like, <sighs> I'm like, let's go. It mm. uplifts me. You, and you, you're not too nice? I remember people saying over the years that Joseph Parker, he's a big puncher, but he's too nice and he doesn't have that killer instinct. Oh, nah. Okay. I have that. <laughs> yeah. But as soon as, the bell, as soon as it's finished, then I'm real polite. Yeah, I can yeah. switch straight off. Wow, that's remarkable. Well, you're incredible. How many more years have you got in you? Plenty. Yeah. Age is just a number. I'm 33, but I feel like I'm 22. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so pleased. I'm so pleased that you say that because it does feel like from our conversation that like um, y- y- your 20s were pretty much lost. Yeah. I feel like now I'm just living. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. I don't. I don't like. I don't let um age title me. Yeah. That's one thing I really, I don't like. I don't like being titled because, you know, when you title and you put, you're, you're limiting yourself. Yes. When you say you're, you're um, 33, it's like, oh, okay, what does, what does 33 mean? And they're like, oh, because I'm at this age. No, no, if you're going to, that, that means you're titling yourself and you're limiting yourself. So I don't like saying that. Mm. I, I'm like, nah, 
age is a no limit. I, I, I agree 100%. I, I turned 50 in um, February this year, and it's, I feel like other people sometimes put limits on you, but yeah. um, you shouldn't put them on yourself. No, you shouldn't put them on yourself. Yeah. 100%. Um, geez, we, we've talked about some real heavy stuff today, and I really, really appreciate it. And I, I, I know it was hard for you to talk about, and it's getting easier and easier. Yeah. Um, but what advice would you be for anyone that's listening to this that um, is going through what you went through or knows someone that is? Uh, my advice would be to speak. That's the biggest yeah. thing. And don't be ashamed. Like, use your voice. Because we, we silence ourselves. Like, we really silence ourselves because we live under that abuser. By us not being staying silent, then we're allowing the abuser to control our life. And we just stay. For years, like, look how long it's taken me for, for me to realize that I lived under that abuser for so long, and it's only just now I've used my voice. I'm finally relief. Like, it's like this, you know, you have a big rock on your chest, and all of a sudden, after, like, 16 years, that rock comes off you. You feel so light. And I truly believe you just got to speak and just keep speaking. Like, don't hold it in and don't be ashamed. Like, so many people, like, not just even women, like, even men are so ashamed don't be ashamed of what you've been through and don't be ashamed of what you've done. You know, own up to it and push on. And doesn't mean just because that's what you were, doesn't mean you can you you can change what you were and you can be something different. Yeah, draw a line in the sand. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. You're an inspiration. Oh, thank you. You really are. Like, could you ever have imagined 10 years ago that your life 10 years forward is like where it is now? No. And you know, it's funny because, like, one thing I've really learned is what I'm really passionate about, like, children. You know, like, I want to change what I've been really passionate about. I want to change the narrative, the narrative in how parents are teaching their children, which is, you know, for our children, the reason why our children shut down and why they don't speak, which I've learned in my own kids, is children just want to be trusted, right? And... What I'm scared of, and I don't want this for my daughter, and this is what I've learned. I don't want, I've told my daughter to trust me. And so, like, there's an episode my daughter, she tried a vape, right? And my mum went off her head and growled her. And I growled my mum and said to my mum, no, don't growl my daughter. I said, you're just a nan, know your place. And then I said to my daughter, it's okay, you're, you're not in trouble. And I said, you can trust me, speak to me, what? What made you want to do the vape? And she said, oh, she was kind of shocked. Like, she was expecting me to lose it. Mm. And I was like, no, I'm not angry. I said, I'm okay with it. What's the matter? What? Why did you want to do um, – what made you want to do it? She goes, oh, because all the kids are doing it. It's cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I laughed. I laughed. <laughs> but deep down I, in, in my mind, I was angry, but I laughed because I was like, I needed her to know that I'm okay. Because, you know – we're wrong. What a lot of people don't, parents don't understand is that I feel that teenagers have the most pressure because they go to school and they have how many teachers do they have to deal with? Like five teachers. Yeah, yeah. Then they have homework and they've got to deal with all those homework. Then they come home and then they're dealing with the parents because the parents are like, that you have expectation for the child. And then if they're not reaching their expectation, then you're growling them. And then you growl them, you shut the child down. And that's why our children don't speak to us. And that's what I don't want my daughter to know that, and my son, is that if I tell them, 
don't do this, don't do that by growling them. They're never going to speak to me, so they're never going to be able to tell them, tell me about their relationship. They need their mum to know that I trust them, so they feel comfortable. So like there's things that they talk to me that I don't like, but I'm like, that's okay. I don't growl them, because if I growl them, I'm shutting them, and I don't want to shut their trust. That's so true. I, I was raised in a very strict household, so I just kept everything from my parents. Yeah. I became very sneaky. Yeah. You become very sneaky, and yeah, then very you, sneaky. because you don't trust your parents because they're they're constantly just they're building that, yeah, that. Yeah, because that's how I was brought up too. So I shut off and I become silent, you know. And I want to change that. Parents need to look at how they approach their children and just understand, have an understanding, understanding of what they're going through. And that's why our children commit suicide as well. And mm. their mental health is so unhealthy, is because. We don't realize that we're actually shutting our children down by telling them to shut up. You know, we tell them to shut up and don't answer back. And like, you know, don't answer, don't tell us shit because they're like, they want to speak. But us as parents, we're telling them to shush, be quiet, shut up, you're annoying. And you're shutting the child Mm. down. And how are they meant to know? They don't have any understanding. How are they meant to understand their emotions and feelings? You know, I allow my son to express how he feels. And I listen and sit down, even though it bothers me. But I'm like, no, I've got to think of his mental health. You know, really think. That's that's my biggest issue. Like, I've seen so many children suffer, you know, and it's very sad. It's not their fault. It's because us parents, we don't realize what we're doing to our children. We really don't. Miyamoto, you are amazing. Um, I'm so excited to see what the future brings inside the ring and outside the ring. I feel like... um, yeah, I'm, I'm so pleased that you've got the profile and the fame, if you want to call it that, that you have now, because I think there's so many lessons that people can, can get from what you've been through, which is unfor- a lot of it's unfortunate, um, yeah. but you've come out the other side and you're a better person. Oh, 100%, yeah. Yeah. Miyamoto, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate that. Thanks so much for making it all the way through this episode of Runners Only with Dom Harvey. Really hope you enjoyed that conversation with the incredible, inspiring motivating, hilarious, captivating. There's not enough words, is there? Miyamoto, what a legend. Thanks again to Skin Institute for sponsoring this episode. I I didn't know this, maybe you did. 6,000 Kiwis are diagnosed with melanoma every year and 300 of us will die from it. So getting checked is so important. Early detection can literally save your life. Skin Institute are the skin cancer experts. I I went a couple of weeks ago for my first ever full body skin check and I feel like a total idiot for not doing it years ago. I was in and out in 20 minutes and it was even covered by health insurance and yours might well be too. They've got 12 clinics nationwide so there's probably one near you and you can book an assessment online at skininstitute.co.nz or by phoning 0800 Skin Doctor, Skin DR. That's 0800 754 637-0800-754-637. Thank you in advance for supporting the legions that support this podcast because it simply would not be possible without them. All right, well, you've got homework to do. You're off to get a full body skin check at Skin Institute, but hopefully I'll see you here next week, safe and well, for another episode of Runners Only with Dom Harvey. Hold up, what was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.